Well, happy Easter, Vertical Life Church. It's good to see all the V-lifers in the house today. And those of you that are new and are guests with us, we want to say welcome. We're so excited that you chose to spend some time with us this Easter Sunday morning. And just like Jason, our youth pastor said in the announcements, you matter. And we want you to feel that today. Everyone matters to God. Matter of fact, we are here today. We are celebrating Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, because God, the God of the universe, looked down on us and said, you know what? We matter. We matter. And so he became a man. He gave his life on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him and we could have a relationship with our almighty God, the creator God of the universe, our Father in heaven. And so this last week, we kicked off a new little mini-series, uh, kicking off what many call Holy Week. Last week was Palm Sunday. It was the day Jesus Christ rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on a donkey, where the whole city came out to uh, usher him in as their Lord and King, waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. Who comes in the name of the Lord? He who comes in the name of the Lord. And so last week we began this series kicking off Palm Sunday, and now we're in week two here on Easter Sunday. And last week we started talking about the subject called habitudes. This isn't habits or attitudes. They are habitudes. Why? Because most of our habits, whether good or bad, they are promoted or created by the attitudes that we have in our lives. And we know as we're, especially as we're talking about Easter and, and Jesus coming and dying on the cross and rising from the dead, while he was here teaching his disciples, he said something very important in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. Good Friday, this past Friday, we celebrated his death on the cross. That death made it possible by the shedding of his blood, it made it possible for us to receive the forgiveness of our sins and be reconciled to God. And Easter Sunday today, the day he conquered death in the grave, broke forth in glorious wonder and splendor, rising from the dead, made it possible for us to now have new life as he raised to life by giving us the Holy Spirit. The same spirit, the word says, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives within you if you believe and trust in Jesus Christ. That's incredible. So the power of the Spirit is in you to help bring about this rich and satisfying life. But as you and I know, we experience life every day. And it's not all rich and satisfying. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's not all rich and satisfying. Why? Because we have certain habits and behaviors that come against what God's will is for our life. Researchers, we talked about this last week. If you're online, you can go to our website, vlchurch.tv, and you can catch up on our sermon series last week. We're also live on YouTube, so hello to all the YouTubers out there streaming live. Uh, I want to say welcome to you as well. Uh, you can catch up with our teaching series. But this last week, we talked about how scientists now say, and researchers have discovered, that what is commonly known as we are creatures of habit, they've discovered how habitual we really are. They say anywhere from 40 to 90% of the time, we are operating on the habitual level. That's astonishing. That's crazy. That means probably more than half of your life, you're just coasting on autopilot. You're not even really in control. You're just operating on the habitual level. And the reason this is important is because the bad habits we have, they equal dysfunction. Think of the bad habits in your life. 
from biting your nails, overeating, to reacting uh, in an unjust or ungodly way when a circumstances arises. All these habits that we have that are negative, they bring about uh, destru- destruction, dysfunction, difficulty, and struggle, going against God's very will for our lives. Bad habits equals dif- dysfunction, and good habits equal blessing. And Jesus showed us uh, what it takes to live a rich and satisfying life, what you need in your life for a rich and satisfying life. We read this in Luke 2.52. Even as a young man, Jesus enjoyed the favor of God and the favor of all the people. Everybody he was around was favoring him, was blessing him. Why? Because as he had favor of God, that meant that he obeyed God. He honored him with his whole life. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because he loved God, God blessed him immensely. And he enjoyed the favor of all the people around him. Why? Because he was a blessing to be around. People were enriched by him. They, they were blessed by just being around Jesus. And so we have this example of how we can enjoy or walk in this rich and satisfying life, even in the life of Christ. But how do we translate that to our own lives? How can we, as imperfect, broken struggling people enjoy that rich and satisfying life Jesus came to provide. Well, last week we identified two main keystone habits. A keystone habit is a a habit that if you change your habit just slightly, it will radically transform everything else in your life. Uh, The author of the book we talked about last week likened it to dominoes, that if you knock over the first domino in a domino set, eventually each one will fall in succession. So a keystone habit is just like that, like knocking over that first domino, that if you were to change it just slightly or launch it into action, it will radically transform other parts of your life. And the two keystone habits we identified last week, number one was trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That too often we try to be Lord or God in our own lives. We try to control everything. We try to do things our own way, operate within our own wisdom. And what happens? Dysfunction, struggle, pain. So trusting in Christ as Lord, letting him be God, letting him be Lord is the first keystone habit that we need to adopt in our life. The second is close to it. One, it is to be transformed by the word of God. Paul the Apostle told us that in Romans chapter 12 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Habits are operating on the subconscious level and even on the conscious level at times. And so we need to transform how we think. In order to do that, we need to get new information, new information that can help adjust our lives. And when we go to the Word of God, it's like going, looking into a mirror, seeing ourselves and seeing what is out of line with what His will and plan is for our lives. And it allows us to have the information we need to make that shift, to make that adjustment, to realign ourselves with what is good, pleasing, and perfect, what is going to bring about that rich and satisfying life. But the problem with changing habits is that habits are motivated by attitudes. If you have a bad attitude about your habit change, chances are it's not going to change. You might go a little ways, but eventually that habit returns. Bad habits or bad attitudes create bad habits. Good attitudes create good habits. And Paul the Apostle, as he was writing a letter to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, this is our theme verse for this series. This is what Paul said as believers, as followers of Christ, we need to adopt in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says we should have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We should mirror the same attitude 
that Jesus had. Why? Because his attitudes led to godly behaviors. And godly behaviors led to godly habits, which led to the favor of God and the favor of all the people. So we don't want to just create good habits in our lives. We want to create habitudes or good habitudes, good habits that are motivated by godly attitudes. And this Easter Sunday, the Easter story in general, is the perfect example of a habitude we need to implement in our lives. And I believe that if we could get this one right, if we could get this right, we could begin to see lots of positive transformation in our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships, with our relationships with coworkers, how we parent from, from all aspects of our lives. And what attitude do we see at work in Jesus in the Easter story? Well, Paul tells us, continuing on in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, this is what Paul says was Christ's attitude. It says, though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Think about what Paul just said. Jesus was divine. He was one of the members of what we call the Trinity or the, the Trinitarian relationship. We understand that there is one God, but he is comprised of three parts, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each of them are unique, but each of them are equal in power, authority. They are unified completely with no division. They are the perfect relationship. Jesus was one of the members of the divine, of the Godhead. He was equal. He was not subservient to the Father. He was equal to the Father. He was not subservient to the Holy Spirit. He was equal to that of the Holy Spirit. He was perfect in all his ways. And he was also perfectly content with not being on top. Not only was he content, but he chose to willingly submit himself to those he was equal to. And not just to serve them, but to also serve those who he was far and above, exceedingly above in every way. He chose to serve us. I mean, think about that in your own lives. Think about in your marriages, in your relationship with your coworkers, those are your equal to at work. How hard is it to submit yourself to someone who you are equal to? It can be a challenge at times. It can be tough, but yet here is Jesus, equal in power, authority, in perfection in this divine relationship, and he willingly submits himself to serve God and man. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why Jesus came. The habitude we see in Jesus and the title of this message today, this Easter Sunday, Vertical Life Church's Easter experience is this, that position isn't everything. Somebody say, position isn't everything. Position isn't everything. You see, the problem with us as human beings, and part of our fallen nature we can see at work, even from a, a young age, is that we are constantly fighting for position. I mean, think about when you were in elementary school and the teacher would say, okay, line up. What place did you run to in the line? First, right? And as you got a little older, you started playing in sports. What position did you want your team to end up at the end of the season? First. And as you grew a little 
older and your favorite band came to town and you spent 500 bucks on tickets you really couldn't afford, what row did you want to end up in first? Right? When you're at work and you are striving to perform well and maybe you're in sales and you're in competition against other people in your department, what position do you want to end up in first? In your marriage, when it comes to conflict and relationship, what position do you want your spouse to consider you first? Are you catching a trend? Do you see it? From the time we're small to even all the way through adulthood, we are fighting for position. And with that position comes a set of perceived rights and privileges that we cling to. We have a first place mentality, and that first place mentality comes with it a set of rights. And when someone or something violates one of those rights, or we perceive like one of those privileges or rights could be violated, we become what? Offended. Offended. That position becomes in jeopardy, and often that offense triggers a cue within us to launch a negative habit loop into motion. What happens when we get angry? And not just angry, but we lose our temper because someone does something to offend us. What happens? We say any and anything to fight back. We retaliate. You can't say that to me. I'm going to put you in your position, which since I'm first, you're not. So let me put you there. I'm going to say every cutting and mean thing I can to hurt you like you hurt me. Why? Because you offended me. You violated my rights. You hurt my position. And after we retaliate, after we lash out with that negative habit that we so often beat our heads up against, how do we feel when we're done? Well, we actually feel kind of good. Why? Because we feel justified in that response. They did this to me, so I did this to them. We feel a little justified. And the problem with that is, is that justification equates to our minds a reward, and our brains turn that into a habit, which is why we continue those same behaviors over and over again. But the problem with negative habits like that is what is the end result of those negative behaviors? More struggle, more dysfunction, strife in your marriage, problems at work, problems with your children and the way they grow up to even see themselves and feel loved. When all is said and done, the end result of those negative habits isn't the rich and satisfying life. Negative habitudes bring, breed negativity and encourage a continual cycle of brokenness. And I have a confession to make this week. Um, you know, I was really excited. The weather started to get warm. Can we get an amen for the warmer weather? Amen, you know, and uh, so the wife and I and the kids, we've been hanging out in the backyard a little more, and lo and behold, we found that uh, not only do we have a sliding uh, door on the back of our house, but the people that owned the house previously had a brand new screen door sitting downstairs in the basement, had never been installed. And so I'm like, okay, warmer weather, we're going to put that screen door in, we can leave the door open, let that cool air come in, it was great. And so I installed that screen door, and I was feeling pretty happy about myself. And I was like, all right, man, screen door installed. Woo! You know, and uh, so I installed that. And so I'm like, okay, this is a change. So let me instruct all of my children on how to operate the screen door. Now, the confession is this. My kids know how to awaken the beast in me. You know, they don't just poke the bear. They drop kick the bear. You know, they just, they just let me have it. And I don't know what's wrong. I think I need to get 
my DNA checked, but somehow my kids have a predisposition to not being able to see a screen door. And even after I showed them how to open and close the door without fail, person after person, they would run into the thing like it was just wide open. I mean, just and I was just getting so frustrated. I'm like, I showed you. It goes like this, and then it goes like this, right? Pay attention. And so they were leaning on it. They were pushing on the screen. They were pushing each other into it. They weren't opening it up. They were running. And I was just, I, it took everything within me not to just unleash the beast. And, and eventually I kind of let some of it slip out and was kind of snarky with them. I snapped at them a little bit, uh, if I am being honest, you know. And, uh, and I was, believe it or not, I was preparing this illustration for this message. And last night we were eating dinner outside. My wife and I were preparing the meal. And one of my sons, who will remain nameless because he may go missing after the service today, he leaned back in the chair that's uh, around the table that we have just outside in our patio, fell back and punched a hole in that screen. <laughs> Pray for me. It took everything within me not to just say what I wanted to say and do what I wanted to do. But this is a habit we have when, when we get angry, it's because we're feeling offended. Why are we feeling offended? It's because we take those things personally, because we feel our position, our rights, and our privileges are being, uh, are, are being threatened. And I, if I have to be honest, was feeling disrespected. I'm the dad. I get to say what happens in my house. You will do this. And they weren't. I had to analyze why I was feeling the way I was feeling because I was more upset than I probably should have been. You know, God was telling me the whole week, they're just kids, they're gonna do what kids do, and I wouldn't listen. But that's what we do as people. We have many conflicts that arise, whether it's in our homes or at work, at school, conflicts in our marriages, conflicts in our workplaces, with our friendships, because everyone at all times is constantly fighting for position. But how does God respond to our offenses? How does God respond when we offend him? Because, because of being sinful human beings, we're sinning against God more times than we can even count. Well, in Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10, the word says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins, and he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Praise God. How does God respond when his position is being threatened? Well, he gives us grace. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. And he gives us mercy. Mercy is withholding what you do deserve. Us, as sinful human beings, we deserve judgment. We deserve the punishment due sinners. But he doesn't give us that. He placed that punishment on his very own son. He gave Jesus what we were owed, and he gave us mercy. He took from Jesus what was his, and he gave us grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. God, who is the judge of all things, who has every right and privilege to hand down judgment, holds back. And not only does the Father hold back, but we see demonstrated in Jesus this very same principle in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, in our key passage. In verse 7, it says, Jesus instead gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born a human being when he appeared in human form. Jesus, who had position, 
who had every right and privilege as God Almighty gave up his position. He bankrupted heaven to come and serve us here on the earth. It says when we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. Jesus tells us a parable to kind of illustrate this idea, this habitude we're looking at today. It's a very familiar story called the Good Samaritan. And he's illustrating this to a man who asks him, how do we get on God's good side? And Jesus said, you know what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command that's equal to that is love your neighbor as yourself. You want to be on God's good side? Then do that. And he tells this story of the Good Samaritan to illustrate this principle. In Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37, here's the story. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Very familiar story. And I believe Jesus brilliantly cast this cast of characters. We have a few different people involved in the story. First, we have the Jewish man that's attacked, lying half dead on the ground, beaten within an inch of his life, struggling in the hour of his greatest need. And then you have the priest. This was an important, this is a man of God. But in this day and age, the priests weren't just, you know, churchy like me, getting up here and giving a message on Sundays. No, they had civic duties that they would operate throughout the week. And so this is be likened to an important city official that we would have in our day. Same as the temple assistant, a very uh, uh, renowned position, someone who could be considered affluent and important in society. We have these two different people that were important in their own right, but when they saw the man lying on the side of the road, they walked by on the other side. And then you have the Samaritan. The Samaritans were half-breeds. The Jews were commanded by God in the law not to marry anyone that wasn't from the nation or tribe of Israel. And some of them, obviously, throughout Scripture, we see didn't obey God. They married people from other nations. They had offspring, and these offspring were the Samaritans, and the Jews hated them. They were the lowest of the low. They were racist against these. It was said that a Jew would never have anything to do with the Samaritan. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus uh, goes to a well and meets a Samaritan woman there, and even his own disciples were questioning, why are you having anything to do with this woman? Despised her simply because of who, she, who her parents were and where she was born. And in this story, we have these characters. And I believe that Jesus isn't just telling this story to, to tell this guy how to get on God's good side. I think that there's something deeper going on here. I think there is a metaphor at work here that we can extrapolate for our subject, our, our teaching today. First, this Jewish man left half dead, I believe represents us. We might be physically alive, but when we're born, we're born spiritually dead spiritually dead. We're the man lying on the side of the road crying out for someone to come and rescue us because there's nothing that we can do on our own to save us from our own sins, to save us from the place that we're in in life. And the priest walking by represents religion. 
And the priest walked by. Why? Because religion cannot save you. The temple worker who represents an affluent man in society, someone of notoriety or respect, he passed on by. Why? Because a career and man's applause cannot save you. No, it took someone who was despised and rejected, a castaway, who would give up his own position. Think about it. The Samaritan had somewhere he was going. He was on a way. He maybe had a job or career he was getting to, but yet he gave up his position, gave up his right to sit on his own donkey and put this man on his own donkey. He gave up the money, his privileges, his resources that he had, just as Christ gave up his divine resources and privileges to save us. The Samaritan gave up his resources to take care of this man, not only to meet his greatest need in the most desperate hour, but he even gave more so that the man could be nursed to health and once again live towards a rich and satisfying life. The Samaritan represents Christ. In the Good Samaritan, Jesus, I believe, shows that he's not only speaking about how to walk in that habitude, that position isn't everything, but he's revealing to the man that he's speaking to, I'm demonstrating this right before your very eyes. I'm living this. I've given up my position, my rights, my privileges to do this for you. Now go and do likewise. If we want that rich and satisfying life, this is the habitude that we need to walk in in every encounter with every person in every face of life, even with people that rub us the wrong way. You know, there's some people that just get on your nerves. You know, it's just uncomfortable to be around them in the room. It's painful. It's like going down a thumbtack slide in your birthday suit. It is just not fun. Right? It's, it's not a pleasurable experience. They just rub you the wrong way. But even with that, we need to remember that position isn't everything. When I was in high school, in the high school youth department in Springfield, Missouri, where I grew up, uh, was attending there, I was involved in the praise band and, and uh, you know, very actively involved in my youth group. And one day, this guy named Jimmy showed up to youth group activity. He was a big pudgy guy, clean cut, like military cut style, but he was quiet. Uh, he kind of kept to himself a little bit. He was awkward, uh, but he always had a guitar magazine in his hand because I guess he loved guitars. And because I played guitar in the praise band, he thought, oh, he must like guitars too. So the guy started following me around everywhere I went, like everywhere. And he was just like hovering in the background. And every time I turned to him, he'd open that magazine and be hey, man, check this out. Hey, man, check this out. I mean, I couldn't go anywhere. I'd go to the bathroom. I'd come out, and he'd be waiting for me outside. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And so I was like, man, how do I get away from this guy? Like, how do I just separate myself? Man, this is just claustrophobic. I mean, he's weirding me out. What's up? So I would like dismiss myself from the group and find some place to be alone just to be able to breathe because this guy was creeping me out. Well, one day, Jimmy stopped coming to youth group. And if I have to be honest, I thanked God for that. I was praising God. I was like, yes, finally. I don't have to be followed and creeped out, creeped around, you know? And I could just be myself. And about a year or so went by, and, and we were really connected to Baptist Bible College, where I graduated college there in Springfield, Missouri. And, and every year, they would host what they called college days, where they'd invite youth groups to come in, spend the night at the college, audit some classes to try to um, you know, help them uh, recruit students uh, to the Bible College. And so our youth group went. And for some reason, out of nowhere, Jimmy showed up to that event. And this time, Jimmy was not Jimmy. Instead of being the big, pudgy, clean-cut kid, he was extremely thin. He had long, scraggly hair, goatee. 
And his mom had told our youth pastor that he had started playing in a heavy metal band with his older brother. And, you know, kind of fit the part. But something was off about Jimmy that night. He was obviously not normal. He was high on some type of drug. His eyes were bloodshot. His eyes were puffy. He had a hard time staying awake. Uh, And I was nervous even then that he was going to start following me around everywhere. And so I was kind of looking over my shoulder. But this time he didn't do that. He kept to himself. He stayed in the background, disconnected. And then we left the college and I didn't see Jimmy again after that. A couple months later, my youth pastor gets a phone call and it's Jimmy's mom. And she said, you know, he had gotten in with the wrong crowd and he started huffing paint. That's where you get high off of aerosol cans. He was huffing paint in his garage. He passed out into a bucket of water and drowned. And when I heard that, I was rocked. I was rocked. Because I realized Jimmy wasn't being annoying. He was looking for a place to belong. He didn't feel loved. He didn't feel like he mattered. He had a hole in his heart, and he was trying to find somebody somewhere to give him an olive branch to reach out to him. And what I realized in that moment was that Jimmy was the man lying on the side of the road, crying out for somebody to help him. And I was the priest who just walked by on the other side, thinking I was too important to give of myself to help somebody else in need. I was too important. I was clinging to my position, holding on to my privileges, too busy to help. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul the apostle says this to the church of Galatia. He says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. See, we are so busy fighting for position, fighting for our rights, and are holding on to our privileges that we miss out on the opportunities to save the Jimmies of the world. If the creator God of the universe, Jesus, Messiah, would give up his position and privileges, his divine authority, his right to judge, his right to be Lord over everything, to come down, to become nothing, to serve us, who are we to keep holding on to our position? Thank God for Good Friday. Praise Jesus for Easter. Thank him for grace and mercy. The core concept of this message today goes along with the title of this message, and that's this. The position isn't everything, but love is. Position isn't everything, but love is. You see, we're not going to find that rich and satisfying life fighting for position, but we will in giving up position to love people. We need to begin walking in this habitude displayed through our Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly displayed as his arms are stretched out wide, saying, Father, forgive them. See, even the thieves were mocking Jesus, the ones on either side. And then just before the last moments of our Savior, one has a change of heart, speaks to Christ and says, you know what, Father or Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And does Jesus say, no, you are mocking me. No, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I know what you said. I've seen the life you've lived. I've seen how you've rejected me in every form your entire life. No, what's he say? He says, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Because position wasn't everything. But love is. You see, when we take offense, when those negative habitudes begin to creep up and show their ugly head, when those negative habits begin to unfold and lead us to dysfunction, when we get into an argument with someone, or we feel that temper begin to rise and begin to uh, set that beast free, when our kids are hitting that last nerve, when our spouse has said that one thing or done that one thing that gets us every time, when your boss is acting the fool or your coworker is mean mugging you from across the break room, whatever the case is, we need to stop and remember that position isn't everything. But love is. We need to stop and ask ourselves, why are we feeling the way we're feeling? Why am I really this upset? Chances are you feel your position is threatened. You're acting out of selfishness, holding to your rights and your privileges. Pride is what is flowing from you. You need to stop and analyze, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why do I want to react the way I want to react? And then once we know what's motivating the offense in our own hearts, we need to ask, what is the other person going through? What's motivating them to act or respond the way they're acting, bringing my offense? Because the reality is, chances are they're going through something too. They're going through something and they're reacting out of negative habitudes in their own life. And they need someone to give up position for the sake of love, to meet their need. And see, by giving up position for the sake of love, we will perfectly position ourselves to honor God and enrich the lives of those around us. And when we honor God, guess what? We get the favor of God. And when we enrich those around us, guess what? We get the favor of those we enrich. And my challenge for you today is to commit today that before you enter into conflicts, before you unleash the beast, before you let those negative habitudes continue to rule and reign in your life, to stop and remember that position isn't everything, but love is. Stop fighting for position and begin fighting for the hearts of others. Let's bow our heads in this place as we go into a time of prayer and response. You know, there's people here today. You've been fighting for a position your whole life. Just like I mentioned earlier, that position is this. You're fighting for the position of Lord in your own life. And I'm going to ask you this question. How's that working out for you? That's not to be mean-spirited, but that's a genuine question. How is it working out for you? Could you describe your life as rich and satisfying? Perfect in every way? Or are you broken just like I'm broken? Chances are you're broken. If I had money and I was a betting man, I would bet my money on that. But you know what Jesus said? I have come that you may have life, life more abundantly, that I will send you the Holy Spirit to make us home in your heart to help begin transform this broken life into something beautiful. Paul said to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. You will not be what you once were, but you'll be changed into something new. 
You'll be transformed into a new creation. You'll be set on a journey that you will never regret. And I invite you here today under the sound of my voice, if you have never trusted in Christ, if you've been living as Lord of your own life, that you would surrender today and just say, God, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting against your will. Today I surrender. And you can pray this prayer with me from your heart to God. Scripture says where two or more are gathered in his name, he is here in the midst. Jesus is here. God will hear you. You can pray this as if you are standing. He is standing right in front of you. And I'm going to invite the church to pray together to encourage those that have never trusted in Christ. Let's pray this together. Say, Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. Forgive me of my sins. I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe in his death and resurrection. I proclaim him as my Lord, now and forever. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I will pray for you in just a moment. If you would just slip your hand up and say, you know what, Pastor Joey, I prayed that prayer today. I prayed that prayer. Thank you. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, I pray for those today that trusted in you for the very first time. For those that committed their life to you, God, I thank you that even now your Holy Spirit is taking home in their hearts. You're cultivating new life within them. And I'm just encouraged by the step of faith, God. And I just pray that your blessing and favor would be upon them today, Father. God, you'd allow Vertical Life Church to continue to encourage them on their spiritual journey. And I pray, God, that your blessings would be on them and their family. Lord, I pray for those that maybe prayed and didn't raise their hand. God, that you would give them the courage to make that confession. You said, if we confess you before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven, God. And so I just pray that boldness would rise in their hearts and they would tell people, I trusted in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. As he became alive on Easter, on Easter I came alive in the name of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've just gotten away from your faith. Maybe you just come to services on Easter because this is National Be Kind to God Sunday and you just showed up because this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe today you need to start committing a new habit. You need to come make Vertical Life Church your home. Make this your spiritual home where not only can you encourage those that you encounter here, but we can encourage you and continue to build the kingdom of God together as we live to honor the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you have a lot of negative and bad habitudes in your life. Even now, the Holy Spirit is revealing things to you in your life that have just been creating dysfunction and struggle. In just a moment, I'm going to open this first row of seats as an old-fashioned altar, and I'm going to invite you as the band plays and sings to make your way down to the front and just fall before the Lord and cry out to God. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin that transforming work in your life as you put Christ first and begin living like position isn't everything, but that love is. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you that we can have new life in you. I thank you that we can have second chances. I thank you that 
broken marriages can be restored. I thank you, God, that addicts can be set free. God, I thank you that those that are struggling with pain from abuse can be can find healing through the name of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that power in the Holy Spirit is enough to restore what's been broken in our lives. I thank you, God, for life change. God, I thank you for the word of God. God, I thank you for how good you are. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And God, I thank you for those who are about to respond to the word that's preached today. Let your glory be revealed in this place. In the name of Jesus.